0: the shepherds of this house. I'm really excited to bring the word today. It's going to be, I say this a lot, so I'm not going to say maybe I shouldn't because I seem to maybe jinx myself. I say it's not going to take long and then it does. So we'll just say this is going to be a really long sermon. Might as well get you a protein bar and a bottle of water and be prepared to endure. But I have a psalm. I would like to read to you all today. Uh, If you guys are listening to me up in the booth and you're reading from my notes, I mislabeled my notes. And my notes say Psalm 18, but that is a mistake. What I'm going to read is Psalm 57. So if they get it confused, that's not their fault. I made a mistake. Their fault in my lead. But I am going to read from Psalm 57 today. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Psalm 57. Remember that we've been journeying together through the story of David. And it is David who wrote this Psalm. And if you have your actual Bible with you, it will most likely have this in the heading. But it says, to the chief musician, set to the tune of a song or melody called Do Not Destroy was a type of psalm of David that he wrote when he fled from Saul into the cave. That's a critical piece of information because it lets us understand the mindset and what was going on in the heart of the writer when he wrote these words. Psalm 57 says this. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me teach you something about when you read in the Old Testament any time that the Old Testament repeats itself whether it's in narrative or poem any time the Old Testament repeats itself it's putting a very strong emphasis on the thing that was repeated so be merciful to me O God for my soul trusts in you and in the shadow of your wings I will take my refuge until these calamities have passed by I will cry out to God most high to God who performs all things for me he shall send from heaven and save me and he reproaches the one who would swallow me up God shall send forth his mercy and his truth My soul is among lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire and whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue is a sharp sword. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens and let your glory be above all the earth. They've prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down they've dug a pit before me into the midst of it they themselves have fallen my heart is steadfast O oh God elbow your neighbor and say my heart is steadfast I will sing and give praise awake my glory awake lute and harp I will awaken the dawn notice he didn't say the dawn will awaken me he said I will Awake in the dawn. We could spend about an hour. It's right there. I will praise you, O Lord, among the people. I will sing to you among the nations for your mercy reaches unto the heavens and your truth up into the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens and let your glory be above all the earth. It's amazing that the man who wrote this is running for his life and he's surrounded on all sides he's outnumbered, he's outmatched and he's outgunned and yet he takes time to find we'll we'll just say for the sake of brevity pen and paper and he writes these words calling on the name of God let's pray we humble ourselves at your table and we ask Lord Jesus that you feed us and you fill us with your word Lord we ask today that you not feed us ritual system or logic but that you will feed us the bread of life and that you will cause us to drink the water of life today Lord I pray for each one that listens to me today that they'll find not the eloquence of man but the life of God Lord towards this end I dedicate myself and I ask you Lord to use me Lord I trust in your word that it will do what it has always done, that it will guide us and it will minister to us and it will keep us even in the most difficult circumstance. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. Thank you, Sarah. As we've been discussing in this sermon series, Wanted, dead or alive, we've been examining the wilderness season of, he's not yet king, but King David's life, because it's the wilderness season where God is processing this young man to prepare him to be a king. The reason why we've taken so many weeks to examine the principles, some are obvious and some are a bit more obscure, the reason why we've taken time is because God is not a respecter of persons. He doesn't play favorites, although when He pours His love out on us, it makes us feel like we're His favorite. The truth is, is that if we can learn the principles of God that are on display in David's life, I can understand those same principles, live by those same principles, and God will do for Jordan and Shad and Pastor Kathy and Pastor Joey and Pastor Trey, He will do for all of us the same thing that He did for David. And so I don't know about you, but I think for most of us, we would say that at one time or another in our life, we have felt like or we have identified with David when he was on the run he was misunderstood mislabeled he was rejected and dejected he went from playing on the varsity team to being kicked out of school altogether everyone in his life had either turned on him or abandoned him and yet God was always faithful learning to live this life is what prepares you to be a king And so I want to remind you of a few things. That God's principles don't change, but the pattern does. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is unchanging, and yet He is always creating. And He Himself says, Behold, I am doing something new. I have plans for you, I have a future for you, and I have a hope for you. I am doing something, I am up to something. And so we have to live in tension As sons and daughters of God and as Christ followers. That God is unchanging and he does the same thing a new way all the time. And so we must be firm in our foundation and we must also be flexible in our practice for us to make the journey through process. If David can follow God's ways and be promoted, so can you and so can I. God is always preparing you for what He has prepared for you. And I want to say this because God is not just a king. He's not just the author and the finisher of our faith. He's not just our Savior and our Redeemer. He's also a good good father. Because he's a good father, he always cares more about who you are becoming compared to what you are doing. That's why God will never make a life for you where he is not necessary. To get the most, to receive the most, to change the most as a man or a woman in the midst of of God's process, we must be intentional. So here's what you need to know about what I just said. All of us are being processed today. You were processed yesterday and you will be tomorrow because God is good. He is moving the universe in the direction of His word and His will. And so guess what? Even when you don't want to, you are being dragged along with Him. I'm going to try that over here. Even when you don't want to, he's dragging you along with him. He will not stop and wait because of you. It goes a lot easier for you, and it feels like it goes a lot faster when you are on board with what God wants to do. So here's something we need to understand is that process is for a purpose process is for a purpose. And so for many of us when we talk about the purpose of a car, we would say this, the purpose of a car is to transport you, the human being, and your belongings from point A to point B, hopefully if you're a car guy, as fast as possible, looking at you Tim Ramden, or as attractively as possible in whatever your preferred style of vehicle is. Okay. But now for many of us, a car is a tool. It's utilitarian. It serves a purpose. And so we associate purpose with a thing. The purpose of a car is transportation. The thing it was made for is transportation. But did you know that God's kingdom and cars are not the same? I'm about to drop a major awesome truth bomb on you. I hope you're ready. In God's kingdom, purpose is not a thing. Purpose is not a place, purpose is a covenant relationship. The purpose of being redeemed, the purpose of being alive, the purpose of knowing God and following God is to be close to Him, to know Him. Did you know this, that you may do lots of things. But God's purposes for your life, the things that you will do, are all born out of the relationship that you have with Him. I would say this, that how high you will fly is not how smart you are, not how talented you are, not how how handsome or how beautiful you are, not how fancy your shoes are, not how educated you are. How high you will fly is determined by how well you know God. Now... I don't mean to offend you, but some of you are still paying student debt hoping that Harvard or whoever would make you fly high when in fact they can't guarantee that. Can I get a shout of amen from somebody who paid off their student debt bill and went, what in the world was I thinking? That being said, I'm a big believer in you getting all the education that you need. Just make sure you know God along the way. So when you find God and when you know him, then you begin to discover your purpose. We could say that destiny is a tree, the roots of which are covenant relationship with Jesus. The trunk of the tree is purpose and the fruit is clearly the fruit Of the Spirit. So you may own businesses, you may write books, you may work in medicine or education or government. There's a thousand flavors of purpose. But the universal truth of purpose is that no matter who you are, where you live, or how you serve the universe, at the core and at the center of purpose is knowing God and bringing the fruit of His Spirit into this world for people around you to feed on. With these thoughts in mind, We've discussed the principle of pain. We've discussed the principle of promotion in degrees. We've discussed the principle of patience. We've discussed the principle of petition. Today we're going to discuss the principle of position. Principle of position. So there's two main parts buckle up, we're going quickly got a long way to go and a short time to get there here's the first thing that you need to know about the principle of position is that what precedes who, so remember the point of our processing is to know God to draw closer to God to experience to see and to hear who he really is But we have to understand this, that many times when it comes to discovering and experiencing the deeper things of God, a what precedes the who. Let me explain. God doesn't mind asking you to endure some difficult things in order for you to apprehend the most precious things in life. The scripture says, do not give dogs what is sacred and do not cast your pearls before swine. If God tells us to think this way and live this way, you can bet for sure that he thinks and he lives this way. God does not always give his most precious experiences, his most precious truths. He lets you endure some things Because of this, you need to hear what I'm about to say. The journey that is required to experience the depths of God's goodness and to experience the depths of God's God's character. The journey always prepares you to receive and to appreciate the true value of the thing that you are seeking. Our founding pastor taught me this, that the most difficult battles always produce the deepest gratitude for victory. If you've never been a sinner, you never appreciate the salvation that Jesus won on the cross. It's the man who was stuck down in a miry clay that weeps with tears running down his eyes when he experiences the strong arm of the Lord pulling him out of that miry clay and putting his feet on a solid rock. Now, please don't hear this if you say, well, I'm not mired in sin. I guess I need to go pad my testimony and commit some sin and let God redeem me. No, you have this testimony that God won't just save you. God will keep you and protect you so you don't have to fall in the hole. If our objective is to discover and to know a supernatural God, then we must be willing to endure past natural circumstances. Can I be straight with you? You can't wait for God to do, you can't you can't take your ball and go home at the first sight of natural resistance wanting God to do a miraculous thing. Many times all through the scripture God's miraculous happens way after most folks go home and give up. There's something about a saint That will stay the course and endure and pray and give and praise. Stick with it and stick to it until God does something great. Sitting right here on the front row in white is an amazing woman of faith. And I don't mean to make her feel awkward or embarrassed. And I mean what I'm about to say to her as a compliment. She's a great woman of faith. She's always left that impression on her students and her children. Pastor Kathy Miller has faith that will offend you because she can believe God for great, big, and amazing things. Let me give you a very brief testimony. She felt they were making a transition in their life, and she felt God wants my family to live in that house. Some of you are already offended. That's okay. Their special religion pills will give you one in the back. You take one, you go home, you feel better her husband's traveling the world he's like a a Wild West gunfighter preaching at every little church he's tearing the place up, building a ministry, teaching, I mean writing books and tapes and the whole thing thank the Lord that someone was thinking about where are we going to live what's God want to do for our family and our children and our home, what kind of place and environment does he want us to live and experience life in, and so she's driving around one day and she sees this house and that's the one right there, that's the one guess what, there's somebody else living there that's right, right? Somebody else was living there at the time? It was empty and for sale. I was getting there. That's what, I, that's what I was thinking. It was empty and for sale, and so guess what? She knows we can't afford that house, though. So she starts praying. Ah, you missed it. Didn't call the banker first. Didn't go check the checking account first. She started praying. She started praying and would literally go get the gates on the driveway and lay hands on them, and she would say, God wants me to live in that house. Hollering in the gates. I'm exaggerating this right here, but she hollering in the gates. That's my house. I'm going to live in you. God said that this is for me. Shaking the gates. Well, long story short, she goes to the bishop who is notoriously a little tight-fisted with his personal money, and she, she taught him a lot, and so they say, this is what we can do for the house. So they write an offer. And they say, this is going to be rejected, but it's what we can do. Comes back, sold. There's something about you got to stick with it, get a hold of the gates, shake that thing and go, God wants me to have this. That's not just about you increasing your pocketbook or you having a tall house or a long car. Can, I, can we just take that principle? And I told you that story on purpose because I know you'll remember it. Take that principle and apply it right here. God wants me to break out of these generational curses that I find myself living in. I'm not going to go my whole life and be broke. I'm not going to go my whole life and be sick. I'm not going to go my whole life and be depressed and anxious. I'm not going to go my whole life addicted I'm not going to go my whole life going from husband to husband, wife to wife, job to job. God has called me and made me to be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. Blessed coming and blessed going. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to stick with it. That's it. That's it. The who is this. It's God. God is the who. Who is The point, God is magnificent, he's holy, and he's righteous. So much so that it defies our logic, our education, and our past experience. So to get us to go on the journey to discover him, he will require us to say yes to a what. The what means a journey. A job, perhaps a relationship, or perhaps the what is God asks you to serve somewhere, somehow. Because when he gives us a what, we can get our teeth into it. God told Abraham, I'm going to give you a family so big it's going to be like the stars in the heavens. It's going to be like grains of sand on the beach. You won't be able to count it all. It's so big it blows your mind. But here's what I need you to do. The what is, I just need you to go be with your wife. Moses, I'm going to set these people free. We're going to wreck an empire in 10 days, and you're going to go into the desert with all the stuff so that I can be with my people and they can be with me. All I need you to do is put your shoes back on and take your stick and go tell Pharaoh that I am that I am. God will, he's going to get you to the who, but he wants you to start with the what. What? Many of us miss the divine. We miss the miraculous because the what looks like suffering and hard work. We think that the who gives us fancy boots and a fancy watch when really we say, if I don't start there, I'm not even going to start. But God says, no, if you'll just start with a what, I'll get you to the who. And when you get the who... When you get to me, when you get past the circumstances, when you get past the suffering, when you get past the enduring, that's where I am. When all the people have left and you have given up, when the resources run dry, when you're having to hide in a cave, David, that's where you find out that my wing and my shadow will be shelter for you. When the men can't protect you, that's when you find out that I will protect you. When it hasn't rained in days and weeks and you're thirsty, that's when you find out that I am the living water that will water your soul. The what will lead you to the who. You want the best treasures that's hidden in someone else. There's amazing treasures hidden in my wife. I'm humbled constantly at what a godly woman she is. I can be a bit temperamental, imagine that. I know that none of the other husbands in here are that way. Prone to anger and depression, it's true. I don't mind being transparent about it. My wife sometimes is like an anchor. She can be as quiet as a field mouse or she can be as strong as Samson. Wise as Solomon. Am I getting any brownie points yet? She is these things. She are these things. But guess that's the who, but the what is you get down on one knee with a little diamond that you worked so hard to get and you say, I'm going to, before God, swear and covenant my life to you and to Him, no matter whether we're poor, no matter if we're sick, no matter what, I'm with you until they put one of us in the ground, it's me and you, baby, the what will lead you to the who. Does that feel all right? Elbow your neighbor and ask them, what is God asking you to do? We live in a, did you know this, that uh, you know some people say we're a secular society and there's some truth to that and I understand what they're saying, but I would argue this, we're actually just pagan. Well, here's my proof. That's a bold statement, I know. we worship uh, this one God in particular we love this one a God called convenience when my life is about me it's I want what I want but I want it now and I want it cheap and I want it easy if those statements are true then here's what that means that means that prostitution and McDonald's are the same business (laughs) I come to preach today, I don't know I want what I want and I want it right now sometimes I want intimacy, I want it right now and I'll pay for it, I don't want to have to deal with covenant or taking responsibility for ministering to someone else's needs the longest, I just want somebody to meet my need I want it fast and I want it cheap sometimes you just want a cheeseburger and I want it fast and I want it cheap listen to me if you want to journey on God's process. If you want to make the trip from shepherd to king, then you will have to tear down the idols of convenience. I think we worship convenience so much, we think that when God does it and it fits our timeline, then it's a miracle. But when God wants to do it and it don't match our timeline, we're crying out, God, why are you making me suffer like this? Let me teach you something about time. God doesn't bend time to suit you. Did you know that Jesus said, even I don't know the time that the Father is going to have me return. When it comes to time, God alone holds time in his hand. And he says when it is time, and he says when it ain't time. Convenience is idolatry that says I should say when it's time. So you will have to lay down convenience and entitlement because entitlement and convenience will hold you captive to a fantasy of winning the destiny lotto. There's a lot of Christians that come to church that what they have is Cinderella syndrome. That I believe if I just... Do this right here, and I just keep being me, and I sing a little praise song along the way. One day, my prince is going to come and put the shoe on my foot, and everything is going to be just fine. And we ride off in the buggy, happy ever after. Cue the harp. (laughs) Cinderella was a queen of fantasy. But King David was made into a king in reality. The truth is, is that once David got the crown, his life didn't get easier. It got harder. Because promotion in God's kingdom doesn't always create more privilege and more pleasure. Most of the time, promotion in God's kingdom creates this. Higher stakes. Higher demand. Higher output. It's the same thing at new levels. And so that's why you had better learn the process in the cave because it's really painful to learn process when you're in the kingdom. And so some of us, we're cursing the time that we're in when I'm living in a cave saying, God, have mercy on me. We're cursing that season, but here's what you need to know. God is getting you ready. He's teaching you. He is shepherding you because you don't know when you may have the crown on your head, peace from every enemy, but then someone in your own house rises up against you. You better learn when to cry out for mercy back here because you can bet this, sister and brother, there's going to come a day in your future. You can have robes of silk, crowns of gold, and jewels on your finger. But you will still have to cry out and place a demand on God's mercy in your life. God never makes a life for you where he is not necessary. If you say no to caring for outlaws, then you will never learn how God cares for the downtrodden. If you say no to the wilderness where others slander you, you will never learn how God justifies the innocent. If you say no to risk, you'll never learn how God rescues. If you're afraid of panting like a deer, you never learn how it's really our soul that thirsts. If you are afraid of hiding in a cave, then you will never learn the safety of the shadow of his wing. You've got to say yes to the what so you can learn the who. Point number two. Sounds pretty easy, wasn't it? Point number two is simply this, we're gonna move quickly. We need to do a quick compare and contrast between tests and trials. Now generally, particularly in our Christian culture, when we communicate these things, we communicate them together as if they are the same thing. But I wanna take a splitting wedge and drive a wedge between them and separate them. That tests and trials sometimes seem and feel the same, but they're not. So track with me here. A test comes first to prepare you for the trial. So you might want to write this down because I thought this was really good. So I don't have a Twitter, but if you tweet me, I'd really appreciate it because this is a good tweet right here. Probably the best tweet you've read all week. A test prepares, but a trial proves Thank you, Thomas. That was good. Thomas felt me rather; right didn't nobody else feel me, but Thomas felt me. A test prepares, but a trial proves. And so, I'll give you an example. Uh, one of my good friends is an engineer. He works at an engineering firm, and so he helps manage these big projects, millions of dollars invested uh, before they even start breaking ground. And so his job is very high demand. So you know, when you go to school for that, they teach you the math. They teach you the engineering, the construction. They teach you all the things. So when you go to school, you take test, 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 test. Hadn't drawn the first plan. Hadn't made the first business deal. You've never built anything. But you've been tested, tested, tested. The trial comes when you get your first big job and the boss is counting on you to be able to do your job. There's testing that prepares you. And then there's the trial that proves whether or not you got the goods. I need to say something to you all, dear friends. God is a God of mercy. The quality, Shakespeare says, the qual- this is not scripture. Shakespeare says, the quality of his mercy is that it, that it is not strained. But let me say this. There comes a time in God's kingdom that we're glad you can talk the talk. But can you walk the walk? Let me give you the biggest example in the world. Jesus went for a few years talking the talk. There's a kingdom. God loves you. He's going to redeem and save all mankind. Talk, 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 talk. It's great. We got blind eyes opening. We got the lame walking, the one with the issue of blood healed. We're feeding the 5,000 with little boys, loaves, and fishes. And that is great. But guess what? None of that saves and redeems humanity. You talk the talk but can you walk the walk? And so there come there is testing and then there is a trial. How do you know when Jesus was in the desert the enemy tested him. The trial was when Jesus was in the garden saying, "God, if there is any way that I don't have to do this, please let me out of doing this." Oh, that hurt. I got a broke bone in my hand. That hurt so bad. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Guess what? He was talking the talk, but then he walked the walk when he stood up like a man, like a king, like a ruler, and he said, I've put my hope and my faith in God. Uh, Though they slay me, yet will I trust him. And he took one step at a time. He took the kiss from Judas with a smile on his face. He put the ear back on the prison guard. He was silent when they tried him before Pharisees. He debated Pontius Pilate. He took his stripes like a man. He took the bruising like a king. And he winced when they beat the thorns in his head. Guess what, old friend? He could talk the talk but he can walk the walk. That's why there's only one who is worthy of praise and glory and honor. Oh, there's only one that's beautiful and holy and magnificent because there's lots that talk the talk. There's lots who tried to take the test, but there's only one who could walk the walk. There's only one who endured the trial by death. So we put him in the ground, and when he stood up on the third day to all the universe, he's saying, guess what, universe? Guess what, angels? Guess what, humanity? Guess what, devils and demons? I can talk the talk, but I can walk the walk. Give me them keys to death, hell, and the grave. I was tested, and I was tried, and he came forth shining like pure gold and feet like polished bronze. I'm telling you what, somebody, I'm going to get Pentecostal if y'all don't sit down. You can talk the talk, but can you walk? the walk you need to pass the test that's important you don't want the guy operating on your heart that he didn't pass the test it don't matter if he did stay at a holiday in so I'm going to take Lord have mercy I'm going to take five minutes band so y'all come on I'm going to take five minutes and I'm going to teach you how to pass the test and then next week we're going to talk about passing the trial oh I can't wait I'm so excited Testing is almost always because of circumstances. It's the conditions of life. David endured many tests the tests of hunger, the need for water, the need for shelter and protection. But trials are driven by situation, circumstances are like the forces of the universe. You can't control if the sun comes up or when it goes down. It just happens the way it happens. You can't make it rain no more than I can. The circumstances of life. But situations are driven by people. By what they choose and what they say and what they do. And so testing is good practice for trials. The test of circumstances Is always about hope. I'm gonna say that again. The test of circumstances is always about hope. Disappointment, thirst, hunger, living like a wild animal in the wilderness, when you live in those desperate circumstances every day, it creates desperation on the inside of you. The first step to overcoming the overwhelming is to put your hope in the right place so the test that many of us face is this that when the going gets tough do we know how to put our hope and our faith in God And so I need to let you know this about hope that hope is not stirred by a feeling that you feel your feelings are like the tide they come they go Some days you feel the victory. Other days it feels as dry as cracker dust. Yes, yes. You can't let your feelings tell you or dictate to you, where is my hope going to be placed today? Well then, so what are we to do? If we don't feel it, what do we do? Hope is stirred by the words
1: The scripture says in Proverbs
0: 18 and 21 that life and death are in the power of your tongue. Let me read that that that, that, again. Yes, Lord. Let let me read that again. again. Let me read that again slowly. Time. If it doesn't work this time, we're just going home. <laughs> life and death are in the power of the tongue. It doesn't say this. The power of life and the power of death is in the tongue. Here's what this is saying. There is power in your tongue to produce life or to produce death. We were taught this, you don't live your life as an overcoming believer, as a thermometer where you reflect the temperature in the room. You live your life as a thermostat that says this, it might be 75, but I'm gonna let the power of my tongue create life. And if I want it to be 67, it might be 72, but I start talking, I start talking and then I start watching. Life being produced by the power on my tongue. And so it's when you don't feel like it that your words are the most potent. Your mouth is like the rudder of a ship. You turn a ship to find the wind. So imagine a big sail ship, sailboat. You get the ship positioned properly to go with. The wind. Where you put your hope is the rudder of your life. Hope says that even when I don't see it, I'm still going to say it. And so for us, it's not what we see, it's where we look. Oh, see, I just said something right there. It's not what you see around you, it's where you choose to look, the reason why God wants to process us in the wilderness is to teach us this principle that you can see a lot of things going on around you, but what matters most is what you do next because it's not what you see, it's where you look if you never say yes to the what you never find the who if you're not willing to take a test you'll never pass the trial it's in the wilderness when you're surrounded by battle and bloodshed that you learn this principle it's not what i see it's where i look because the scripture says i will lift up my eye to the hills from which comes my help there might be battle and bloodshed all around me but my help comes from the Lord I may be fighting with shield and sword and spear but the Lord is maker of heaven and earth I may be being pushed against and I may be having to go and give but I put my hope in him because he'll not let my foot slip and even when I get tired and I feel weary he who watches over me does not sleep slumber, let me say this one final time dear friends say yes to the what don't be afraid say yes to the what and I guarantee you that when you endure you will find the who and when the test comes you don't have to refuse to acknowledge what's around you As a matter of fact, it's because of what's around you that where you look and where you put your hope becomes supernatural. You want to pass the test. Put your hope in the Lord. Now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to pray this simple prayer. I felt the Lord tell me this last night as I was writing. That there's people in this room that you're in the test. You're in the wilderness. The circumstances don't seem to match the promise. God, this doesn't look like what I thought. This doesn't feel like what I thought. The Lord also told me this, that for those of us that we're in the test today, there's coming a strength in to put our hope to put our hope in the Lord so with every head bowed and every eye closed nobody looking around if you say that's me man I'm in the test I just want you to hold your hand up and wave at me nobody's looking at you we're not taking your names down or taking your picture or anything like that keep waving keep waving you say I'm in the test man I am being tested there's hands everywhere Okay, if that's you and you say I am in the test pray this with me Use me like training wheels. If you don't know what to pray, you pray what I pray. When you feel something different come up in your spirit, you just go with that. The easiest prayer ever. Lord, today I choose to put my hope in you. Lord, you see and you know all the circumstances and the testing that I'm in. Lord, just like the writer says, today I choose to lift up my eyes. Lord, today I refuse to be distracted. I refuse to be distracted by the battle and by the bloodshed and by the war that's going on. make a way for me even when there doesn't seem to be one. Sometimes you got to be bold and pray like this. Lord, I call everyone around me to bear witness that today I put my hope in you. I commit myself, Lord, to hope in you. Lord, let everyone see that because I put my hope in you, if I fall, it's on you. Lord, keep me and guide me.